Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. My name is Daryl McMullen, and this is a show where we discuss how we can rise above the human condition. We address topics that we all wrestle with because we're all human. And together we look for more positive ways to respond to the world around us. Thank you for joining us on the journey. We hope today's topic is exactly what you need for the week ahead. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It is April 19th, 2021. Uh, Great to be with you here again on another sunny Monday morning in Southern California. Um, I hope wherever you are at across the country that you are having a great start to your week and that the weather is nice for you as well. So let us jump in. This morning, our minute of transparency, I'm just going to call Take a Snapshot. So have you ever tried to describe a moment that was monumental to you, life-changing? Maybe it was the first time you tried your favorite coffee drink and you knew that it was going to be part of your life forever. Maybe it was the first time you had Giordano's Pizza, uh, that deep dish Chicago style masterpiece. Or maybe it was the first time that you uh, met that person and you knew that they were the one, right? Or the moment when you popped the question. Your first drive, a road trip in a new car, uh, seeing the ocean for the first time, maybe scuba diving for the first time and seeing the ocean from that perspective. So many things, right? Things that we experience in life, things that make life enjoyable, worth living. But when asked to describe those moments, you often find yourself quiet, right? Unable to put the experience into words. Well, don't worry. Um, It's not just you. It's something that we all struggle with. I mean, yes, you can describe the mechanical elements involved. So, for example, in the coffee scenario, it's pretty easy to describe where you were at, what the drink was, and possibly even what it tasted like. But that doesn't capture why it was an impactful thing to you, right? That's only 20% of the story. The other 80% of the experience is not mechanical. It's experiential. Uh, It provoked feelings and emotions that aren't quite as easy to describe, right? The fact that the coffee warmed you both in a physical and emotional way, the fact that it provoked memories of other times in your life, the fact that it bonded you in some way to the person that you were getting the coffee with, or maybe the fact that this coffee experience was part of a larger perfect day scenario, one that you will never forget. All of these things are deeper more internal than the mechanical, which is why people often say, oh, you just had to be there, or you wouldn't understand because you weren't there. Like you, I've had many of these experiences, but as I've matured, uh, I've started to experience something new, something similar, but yet unique. And I call them snapshots. Now, the reason they're different is that they don't seem to be about one specific thing. Like my first time drinking a venti cafe mocha at Starbucks, right? That was more of an experience or a moment to look back on, but it wasn't a snapshot. A snapshot, to me, uh, is a moment in time where the world stops. It's a strange sensation where you're in the middle of something, maybe even something very active with interacting with other people, uh, but you find yourself stepping outside your body in a manner of speaking, 
in order to savor the moment and lock it in your mind because it appears to be so meaningful. Everything just feels right at that time. Now I know this is getting a bit existential, but hear me out. So I'm going to have a hard time explaining this for me because, well, it's even more abstract than the coffee moment that I was using in our example. These snapshots are few and far between, but when you have one, you know it, and it's transcendent. The last one I can remember happened during the craziness of COVID. Our middle daughter was home for a few days over Easter, and we were driving somewhere in the Jeep, most likely to the beach, I don't know. Uh, the freedom panels were off, allowing the warm California breeze to blow through the cabin. The kids were laughing and catching up after months being apart. And then it happened. I looked at my wife, I smiled, and I took the snapshot. She looked at me with that, what's wrong with you, look. And I simply said, I'll tell you later. And that's it. A bit hard to describe, but that's because a snapshot, for me, is almost 100% experiential sensational and emotional. It's this feeling of calm, peace, joy, love, and contentment all rolled up into one, and it only lasts for a minute or two. But it's amazing, it's life-changing, and you don't want it to end. This morning, I may have had another one, although it was a bit unique to say the least. I think I told you that I started running a while ago, three days a week, early in the morning, now, this doesn't come naturally for me any more than it does for anyone else. Getting up early is not fun. It's, it's hard work. Getting out of bed in order to move directly into exercise is a shock to anyone's system. But I'm forcing myself to do it because I know two things. First, doing something 21 times makes it a habit. And as of this recording, I'm on run number 18. So almost there. Number two, I know that the benefits will outweigh the pain for a couple things, right? For my overall health, for my sleep schedule, for my energy level. All of these should be impacted in a positive way if I just keep it up. And I've seen some of these improvements in some of those areas. But the snapshot caught me off guard. I had gone for my run, showered, and was completely ready for my first call of the day. Did the call and I was just finishing up, I was standing there in our living room when this wave just came over me. It felt good. No pain, no foggy brain, no stress. Just this sense of peace and hopefulness for the future that I haven't felt in a really long time. I was excited for what the, what the week could hold. I was excited for my kids and the things that they were going to do in the next few days. And I was reminded that my wife and I were collaborating on a fun project that we will soon release to you. So many good feelings hitting me all at the same moment. All I could think of was, it's a snapshot, another snapshot. And I immediately pinned it on the exercise, right? It has to be. It's the only thing I've been doing differently in the past month or so. But the more of these I have, the more I'm sure that they are spiritual moments as well. I've started to think of them as short bursts of power, right? Laser-focused beams of perfection streaming through small tears in the fabric of this earth, breaking into our three dimensions to give us a taste of what we're missing, letting us know that we are very small, but we are part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves. Okay, I'll stop there. 
So am I crazy? Am I seeing things, hearing things, experiencing things that other people aren't experiencing? How about you? Uh, have you ever had a snapshot, a momentary glimpse of what perfection could be? Maybe what life in heaven could be like? I sure hope so, because <laughs> not only would that make me less crazy, uh, because I want it for you as well. I want you to have those moments as well, where all of the planets seem to be in alignment and you feel the warmth of God reaching out to touch you right where you are. Okay, let's move on to today's topic, transcending spiritual stages. In this episode, we're going to talk through getting dynamic with the spirals, number two, the revealing seven churches, and number three, determining your center of gravity and making some changes. Number one, getting dynamic with the spirals. So I recently did what I would consider a shallow dive into this whole world of spiral dynamics. Um, if you've been around the Transcend Human podcast for a while, you probably remember me bringing it up in episode 42, uh, Transcending Life Stages, uh, where we talked about uh, Maslow, Piaget, Kohlberg, Erickson, and some of their theories, um, theories that were ingrained in my brain as a clinician going through uh, grad school. But then I threw out spiral dynamics, which is a theory that I came across more recently and find just mind-blowing interesting. Uh, if you're interested in the details, feel free to go back and check out episode 42. But for this episode, I simply wanted to bring up spiral dynamics again because it dovetails right into our topic for today, which is transcending spiritual stages. Now, there is spirituality involved in spiral dynamics, um, but spirituality is not the foundation or the basis of the theory by any stretch. Uh, in order to bring us up to speed quickly, uh, I'm going to put some links in the show notes. So there's a YouTube video by uh, a kid named R.C. Walden uh, that I just find pretty interesting the way he describes it. And then I'm also going to put a four-episode series that Rob Bell did um, with him and his son's vision or version of the theory. Um, so Rob and his son Trace did a, did this episode series on spiral dynamics called Me, We, Everybody. And while it's, you know, it's based loosely on the teachings of spiral dynamics um, and another uh, two or three theories that they have spent some time studying, uh, they basically took all of that content and they put their own spin on it uh, in order to make it a bit more portable, accessible, and usable um, to people that have a hard time understanding the concepts. And so they describe the stages of spiral dynamics in this way. So there's two, two things. There's two tiers of consciousness. Um, there's a first tier consciousness, and then there's a second tier consciousness. And so the first tier of consciousness holds what? One, two, three, four, five, six, two, four, six. Yeah, six stages. And we're going to kind of walk through those real quick just to just to remind you what those are, um, but they they explain them as colors. So the first color is beige, um, which they call archaic. And so this is kind of the earliest stage, a stage that an infant would find themselves in, a stage where your basic needs are the most important thing to you. So needs like shelter, safety, food, water, etc. Um, it's very material and it's very tangible. 
The next stage is purple, and this stage is called magic. And it's it's recognizing that the basic needs and the survival of yourself are, are really based on some supernatural force, some outside force outside of your control. So this would be things like, you know, the development of gods, right? The belief in like the rain god or the, the god of the harvest or things like that where your very archaic basic needs are controlled by something that you can't control. And so this is where we came up with things like angels and demons and curses and voodoo. Um, and it suggests the need for people like witch doctors and shaman and palm readers, astrologists, um, people who somehow understand that interesting thing that's going on that's impacting our, our, uh, our crops and our harvests and things like that. So that's purple. Next, you move into red, which is power. Power is all about me. It's very individualistic, impulsive, um, taking power for yourself, uh, survival of the fittest, the strongest takes control. Uh, this is where you find kings and dictators. Uh, and these kings and dictators are often leading a group of people who are still in the purple color, right? A whole group of people that are very superstitious and kind of believe, um, you know, in this supernatural thing that's going on. And then a leader with very red power comes in and takes over that and, and kind of controls an entire people group because of their beliefs in the, in the mystical. Next, you have blue, which is tradition slash belief. And this is um, moving from me, me, me to we and us, right? Being for each other having a level of restraint on our behavior. Uh, very traditional culture based on a shared story. So the rise of the Roman Empire, right? Organized around a very structured governmental um, order. You have uh, things like the military and sports and religion are all very blue things because there's, there's team effort instead of just me, 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 like red, blue is we and us. Uh, in this situation, who has the power? Um, government leaders, religious leaders, athletes who are, you know, kind of above and beyond everyone else. Basically, people who understand blue, they understand the tradition, they understand the sport, they understand the religion very well and can interpret it or explain it to the rest of the people. Next, we move into orange, which is the modern uh, color. And this is what I, I forget what the era was, the age of thought and reason. Um, but it's basically moving from a tradition and a belief structure into a more science-based structure, scientific thinking, rigorous examination of the truth and facts versus leaning on the beliefs of a group of people like in religion, uh, the use of capitalism to either be helpful or to game the system. So people in this, people who are orange have this ability to, to kind of go for the good or go for the bad um, in terms of capitalism, right? They can either be helpful because they understand the system or they can choose to game the system in order to profit themselves. Um, one interesting thing that Rob Bell brought up was that megachurches are actually a uh, kind of 
came out of or grew out of this orange modern movement because religions are basically in blue, right? Traditions, beliefs, like a very structured, organized thing. But then when you take that old school structure, uh, you know, based on the Bible, based on a belief system, and then you use capitalism to market it and promote it and to create it, make it bigger than it even needs to be, then you wind up with what he calls megachurches, uh, basically taking the power of the truth um, in the blue stage and then blowing it up using data and new ways of making something successful. It's basically using logic and pragmatism to make decisions versus just handed down belief systems. So that's orange. Next you have green, which is pluralism, um, started back in the 1960s. Uh, and this is when we and us moved into this concept that we and us isn't just our small little group. We expanded it to understand that we and us means everyone, people in other parts of our country, people in other parts of the world, uh, and an understanding that other cultures are important and that people are important. So this was the social justice movement, sensitivity, compassion, um, celebration of diversity, um, environmental movement, animal rights movement, all of these different movements for um, social justice kind of began back then in the 1960s. Um, it was an explosion of truth and an acceptance of all. Uh, one of the negative things, however, that came out of this movement is what we call the cancel culture. So basically uh, removing any voice that does not follow the cultural majority. So if, if you speak out or if you say anything that isn't in line with the culture, the green culture that is in vogue right now, then you're canceled and you're, you're bashed and you're made to look, um, you know, like you're a dissenter basically. So that's green. And then after green, you start the second tier of consciousness, which is just a higher level, um, consciousness. And there's, there's two or three different stages in this in this level, um, but I'm just going to talk about two because that's kind of the two that they summarized. So in the second tier of consciousness, you start with yellow, which is called integral. And this is really the whole concept of spiral dynamics, right? It's that it's that each of these colors represents a period of time in life. Each of these colors represents a culture. So in even in the world today, there are blue cultures, there are red cultures, there are beige cultures. Um, and then even within a person, an independent person has each of these colors within them as well. And that there are times when they act more in line with one color than the other. But there's usually one color that they um, hold as dominant. But once you reach this second tier consciousness, that's when... Um, that's when you start to understand people and understand yourself based on these colors. So there is constant conflict in the first tier consciousness, right? This is where you see political chaos, you know, blue versus red. Um, and you see, you know, science versus religion. There's, there's all sorts of um, conflict that exists in first tier consciousness. Um, the way they described it is you typically look forward with fear 
and backward with disdain. So let's say I'm at blue. Um, I look forward to the orange and the green with fear because it kind of makes me step out of my comfort zone, right? But I look backward at the red and the purple and the beige with disdain because I feel like me being at blue, I look back on the others behind me and they seem archaic. They seem like, um, like, like you just haven't made it yet. And so that's kind of where the, the conflict comes from is that every person in every stage is looking around them at the others as either a threat to them or as not having enough understanding to be where you're at. But yellow um, is second tier consciousness because somebody who has reached yellow understands that they have all of the colors within them and they can view others in the same way. So this ability to choose to meet people right where they're at um, instead of viewing them as a threat or viewing them with disdain. The yellow may have spent time as a conservative and then moved to be more liberal, but eventually they see issues with both. You start to feel like you don't belong in the polarized conversations that are happening because you see the positives that come from each of the stages. Now, there's, there, like I said, there's other stages. Uh, I think there's another one called turquoise, which is the whole view, which is so high level that, you know, you're looking at the world, not even in terms of people, almost. Um, you're looking at the world as one giant living organism, and, you know, it gets really ethereal uh, from then on. Um, but I think that's a good explanation, a good summary of the way that spiral dynamics um, works, is that first-tier consciousness with beige, purple, red, blue, orange, and green, and then uh, reaching a second tier of consciousness where you start to be able to integrate all of those colors within yourself and understand the importance and the role they play um, and just become more accepting of, of everything in the world and the way that people and countries and, and cultures uh, are functioning. So we'll leave it there for now uh, and just finish up with two kind of higher level concepts that come out of spiral dynamics. And so one of the things that they talked a lot about was this concept of center of gravity. And it's the idea that we as a person have each of the colors within us, but there is one color that we're going to kind of really resonate with, and we're going to focus most of our energy on, and it's how we're going to come across to others. And that's what's called our center of gravity. Now, it's not just for a person, it's also for civilizations and cultures and, and countries. So within the world, you know, there are countries that function on different levels at different colors. Um, they have the ability within them to function in each of the colors, but for some reason, their center of gravity has focused them on one specific color. Um, so that's what center of gravity has to do with. Uh, your center of gravity is basically the stage that you feel the most at home with at any given time. It's the stage that you default to. Uh, and then another um, interesting concept that they threw out there is this whole concept of moving forward from one uh, color to the, uh, to the next. Uh, they said that an entire culture can move from one stage into the next when 10% of the population are already in that direction. So, you know, an example of that would be, let's say that the United States is 
was in the blue, right? A very religious, a very kind of militant culture with a shared story that everyone kind of agreed on. Um, in order to move into the orange or modern way of thinking, more scientific, more rigorous examination of truth and facts, 10% of the U.S. population would need to start feeling that way, would need to start viewing the world with the orange mindset. And then once that 10% took over, um, it would be kind of like a tidal wave that would just move them from blue into orange. So that was an interesting concept as well, um, that 10%. And so that, you know, when I translate that to me personally, that's interesting that I wonder if the same holds true, that if I find myself at a center of gravity of blue, you know, what 10% in my life needs to start focusing on orange in order to move me into the orange uh, color. But anyway, we will move on from that. And finally, I'll just leave you with a uh, quote from Rob and Trace Bell. They said, spiral dynamics is the new Enneagram, which I just found kind of fascinating because I, I'm all about the Enneagram. I love kind of reading about the different numbers and how they, how each person interacts with each other on the Enneagram. But this whole spiral dynamics thing is also just an incredibly interesting uh, explanation of the way that people interact with each other. So number two, the revealing seven churches. Now, this episode really wasn't supposed to be about spiral dynamics. Um, as I was prepping for this, I just I couldn't help but see the correlation between the spiritual stages that I wanted to talk about and the stages of spiritual dynamics or a spiral dynamics, which we had talked about earlier. So that's why I thought it might be helpful to kind of revisit them one more time at a high level before moving into the spiritual stages. So where do these spiritual stages come from? Well, the Bible, of course. I mean, if there's anywhere we can go with complete certainty, it should be the Bible. Not that the Bible isn't confusing at times, don't get me wrong, but I'm just talking about certainty. In other words, if a person says one thing and the Bible contradicts that thing, you can be pretty certain that the person is not telling the truth because the Bible is what we as Christians consider the source of all truth. So I'm just going to dive right in and uh, I'm just going to go right to the punchline before we even get to the story. So I believe that the seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation can actually be viewed in a very similar way to the stages of spiral dynamics, the stages that we just covered. And for the sake of continuity, I'm just going to refer to them as spiritual stages. But first, a few caveats. So the book of Revelation is a book of prophecies, and because of this, people interpret it very differently. Uh, if there's one thing that's highly debated in spiritual and Christian circles, it's the different views on prophecy. Uh, and that's fine. Um, and because the seven churches are described in the book of Revelation, then they hold the same debatability, if you will, right? People view them very differently. But this is an explanation that I've heard and I've always found fascinating. Um, and so I wanted to throw that out. First, each church represents a period of time from Jesus's day until the end of time. So, for example, the first church represents the church or group of people that took the story of Jesus to the world right after his death. And the last church is the church or group of people that will exist when Jesus returns. Number two, 
Next, each of the churches represents a way that the that a church or that a group of people uh, will act at any given point in time. So, for example, a church can act like any one of the seven churches today in our day. And finally, number three, every Christian can be found in one of the churches described at any point in time. So, for example, you and I are currently living in a similar way to one of the seven churches at any given point in time in our life. So let's work our way through each of the seven churches and see what I'm talking about. So these churches exist in Revelation 1, 4, and it goes to about Revelation 3, 22, that, that chunk of verses in there. Uh, and I'll put a link in the show notes so you can go read it if you're interested. But the Bible explains that John, the writer of the book, was in prison on an island called Patmos. Uh, he was having this dream, and he was shown a vision of Jesus. A pretty incredible dream if you want to go read that as well. Um, but Jesus went on to give him messages for seven churches. And for our purposes today, we aren't going to talk about the time periods or the you know how churches or organizations play into these illustrations. Instead, we're just going to focus on them as spiritual stages, personal spiritual stages that we may find ourselves in. So here are the seven churches that John saw in his dream and how I view them as spiritual stages that we may go through. So church number one is Ephesus. Uh, it's the church that has abandoned its love for Christ and his teachings. So when you first hear about God, Jesus, the Bible, all that stuff, it can be really exciting, right? Just as exciting as a new relationship or the honeymoon period that a new married couple goes through. Uh, you're so excited and you can't seem to get enough of this new thing that you found and you want to share it with other people. But after a while, that first love experience kind of wears off, right? It's easy to become complacent. You take your faith for granted uh, and, and that starts to happen. So the important thing in this stage is to remember the love that you had at the beginning the love for your new faith, the love you had for others, and what it did to you and how it became a focal point in your life. Church number two is the church of Smyrna. This is the church that remains faithful amidst persecution. So as a Christian, you know, there will be times when you feel persecuted. Of course, there are many different kinds of persecution, right? There's first world persecution that we experience, and then there's actual persecution, which we don't usually experience. Uh, and there are also two different forms of persecution. So there's real physical persecution, and this can come at the hands of people, groups, governments, etc. Uh, it can be everything from just being imprisoned to physical violence to even death. And then there's spiritual persecution. And this is the concept that Satan himself or his demons have somehow singled you out and are taking their anger out on you, right? They're focusing on you. So, you know, this could be a, just a trail of bad things happening to you or your family, kind of like the story of Job uh, in the Bible. But the church at Smyrna stood fast through it all. And likewise, we can stand strong through it all, knowing that he's with us. So the important thing at this stage, um, and this is something that there's a phrase that in the, the verses for the church at Smyrna that says, 
don't fear the second death, which should be very reassuring to them as well as us. Um, so even though we may perish on earth or be imprisoned or killed, uh, we will be raised from the dead and live forever. This whole concept that the, the death that you would experience on earth is the first death suggests that there's this thing called a second death that is eternal. And um, the interesting verse in this section is that we are not to fear the second death if we stand fast. Okay, church number three is the church at Pergamos. So this is the church that compromises its beliefs. So as Christians, we fall into the same situation, right? After, we, after a while, we lose our first love for our faith, and we start to see things as less black and white. We become okay with shades of gray. In this spiritual stage, it is important to see this happening and return to what we know is true. And where did we just say truth comes from? Well, the Bible. So return to the Bible in order to ground your faith in truth. Church number four, Thyatira. So this is the church that follows false prophets. Um, as Christians, we fall into a similar state of double thinking. On the one hand, we hold on to the things that we were taught, but then we fall for other things that are not part of our faith. Uh, it, it's called in the Bible, false prophets. Um, but in our lives, this can be anything from uh, preachers to teachers, influencers, television, documentaries, books, um, uh, adopting negative values like greed or materialism or selfishness or pride. Uh, the problem is this, as we go farther and farther down the road with these false prophets, as they're called, um, we basically get farther and farther away from the truth, from the thing that we know to be true. So the important message in this stage is to hold fast to the faith that you have and avoid the detours. Church number five, Sardis. So this church is the church that is spiritually dead. Ouch, that's a bit harsh, right? Yes, but unfortunately it's true. There are Christians who call themselves Christians, but are about as far from it as they can be. Uh, going through the motions, acting as if you believe, but not having a relationship with God at all. In this stage, it's important to re-engage in your faith by exercising some of the common practices of the church. Bible reading, prayer, serving others, giving, uh, attending church, possibly, you know, things like that to really get yourself back on track and realize what it is that you actually believe in. Next, church number six, the church at Philadelphia. So this is the church that patiently endured despite weakness. So this is a great picture of a church living their life, trying to remain faithful. Um, they don't have superhuman strength, um, but they're leaning on the strength of Jesus to endure. Uh, and it is this endurance over a long period of time, perhaps your entire life, um, that is important here. It's dealing with setbacks, trials, persecution, uh, maybe being made fun of, but in the end, remaining faithful over the long haul. The important message here is to be strong, lean on Jesus, and stick it out. And finally, we have Church 7, which is the church at Laodicea. This is the church uh, with a lukewarm faith. 
I said I wasn't going to talk about the church uh, in terms of time periods in history, but it is interesting that if this is meant to be the church or represent the church or people living at the end of time, um, I think that's worth mentioning. The word lukewarm suggests that you're neither hot or cold. You're somewhere in the middle. Now, I always took this to mean that you were, if you were hot, you were on fire for God, right? You were 100% for him. Or if you were cold, you were for Satan and 100% against God. But this week, um, you know, in some of my research, I heard it presented in a slightly different way, which just blew my mind. So according to this guy, um, to be hot is to be on fire for God. So similar to what I said. But to be cold is actually to be at a place where you understand how far you are from God and how much you need him. Uh, so it's actually a good place to be because if you see how important it is to come to Jesus, it makes it easier to repent of your negative behavior and start following him. So the issue with lukewarm then uh, is that you are neither, right? You haven't really given your life to God. And yet you don't really even see your need for him at the same time. You see the subtle difference and you see how dangerous that can be. Uh, so if this is what it means by, um, you know, living at the end of time, it's very easy to see how this could be our society, the society that we live in today. People are so distracted with politics, entertainment, social media, um, sports. I mean, every, there's so many things that you can give your life and time to. Nobody has time to think about their faith or whether or not it's hot or cold. Instead, we just seem pretty okay with the fact that we're somewhere in the middle, lukewarm. So the important message in this stage is to shake yourself awake, to see through the distraction and light a fire under your faith so that things heat up. Number three, Determine your center of gravity and make some changes. So we talked about spiral dynamics and this whole concept of the center of gravity, right? This idea that as we develop, we go through many of the stages. And at every point in our life, we have all of the stages within us. But that one of the stages takes center stage, right? And it's our center of gravity. It's our default mode and it's how we typically function. And when it comes to the spiritual stages, it's really no different. As a Christian, you may have experienced, you know, stage two, stage three, stage four, maybe all of the seven stages. I don't know. But there is a good chance that you find yourself in one of the stages most of the time. And this is your center of gravity, your spiritual center of gravity. And based on the description of each of the spiritual stages, we have a decision to make, right? We can either stay there locked in the gravitational pull, or we can make some changes. You know, each of the stages um, that we talked through suggested an important next step. So for example, if you feel like you are in the Sardis stage, uh, the important change is to re-engage with spiritual disciplines and keep from having a dead faith. If you're in the Laodicea stage, light a fire and be prepared to stand for your faith etc, etc, etc. So the important thing is to identify where you're at, and then take steps to overcome the dangers that exist in that stage. Now, there's a good chance that um, we have been in many of the stages at one time or another. 
and uh, we've had to wrestle with the pitfalls that each stage uh, represents. But there is a phrase that is repeated over and over and over again in the messages to the churches. And the phrase goes something like this, to him who overcomes, to the person who overcomes, to the man, the woman, the college student, the high school student, whatever, to the one who overcomes, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, right? There is something waiting for you. To the ones who stand strong in their faith and endure the trials that come their way, there is peace. There is eternal life. To those who choose not to engage in the dangerous behaviors in each of the stages, there is a blessing, the gift of living forever. So let's land the plane. This week, ask yourself the following questions. In our quick summary of spiral dynamics, did you see yourself listed? If so, what is your center of gravity right now? Has it always been this way? Or can you look back on your life and see that you've worked your way through some of the different colors? Similarly, where would you place yourself in these spiritual stages, right? What church do you most identify with? Uh, and what is the danger that that stage um, faces or that you face in that stage? And finally, what changes can you make in your life uh, to keep from falling into that dangerous situation? And I think that's where we'll stop for today. Again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. Um, I hope the conversation was beneficial and that you have one more tool in your tool belt, uh, a tool that can help you rise above the human condition. Um, you know, this this stuff is kind of heady, right? Like, I mean, if you get into spiral dynamics and, and prophecy in the Bible, I mean, these are things that are difficult to understand. So my hope is that I can just take some of these concepts and, and make them super simple, you know, put them into bullet lists and, and easy, you know, um, summaries so that it's helpful to you so that you can take these things and you can apply them to your life um, and, and help you kind of take that next step in your faith. So that is it. That's what we're trying to do here on the show. So uh, until next time, everyone, have a great week and keep transcending human. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com where you'll find additional content as well as ways to contact us and links to our social media channels. Thanks again for subscribing to the show, and we'll see you again real soon.